this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Cooper Perkins will join us to take a deep dive into the numbers of why San Diego has gotten off to such a hot start. We got record breakers and milestones in a wild week 10, and week 11 means games mean that much more. Box bets and positive vibes and a whole lot more this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, alongside Pat Gregoire, my name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Austin Stotts, sock trick for the first time in his career. Throw him on the floor, everybody. Six for Austin Stotts. Matthews, Hendricks on an isolation, and Simpson. Hendricks scores! What a goal by Tyler Hendricks! The big man on the isolation. Church, outside Triolo. Triolo's to the middle. Big man, the 6'8 sniper, but Saskatchewan in front. Find it, now Matisse has it, back to the defender. He's all alone down there with three to shoot, fighting through that traffic. Comes out and he scores! Oh my goodness, what a goal by Kyle Matisse. Leaving it out in front, between the pads and score! The drought is over for Chris Cloutier. What a goal between the legs. Watson dishes off Jackson to Hanna. He fired there from earlier, and Jack Hanna gives that goal right back to his Desert Dog teammates. Jew with three. Jew got to make his move. Now the shot gets through! Andrew Q with the game winner! They'll work it around. Jamison with the shot. He scores! Cody Jamison with the hat trick and the winner for the Halifax Thunderbirds here in overtime tonight. A crazy week 10 had back-to-back overtime games, a one-sided victory by the Seals, and a whole bunch of records. Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregoire. Find him at P. Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast, or on the instas at OTCB podcast. Patty, we are one week away from Laval and the unbox game. What is going on? Bonjour, Teddy. I'm uh, I'm I'm working on my French, as you can or tell. I've got a long. <laughs> I was waiting to see how long that one came up. Uh, I kept that one pretty tight-lipped, I'll yeah. be honest. Uh, Scott Z with the NLL approached me probably about a month and a half, two months ago. Wanted to see if I had any interest in doing something, you know, outside of the box and have some fun. I said, yeah, sure, why not? And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he came to me with the idea. I thought it was hilarious. And I thought he couldn't have picked anyone better for yeah. the role of Denny Lemieux. Uh Connor Kiernan absolutely knocked that one out of the park. Um, yeah, it was yeah, fun though. We show. stole the show for sure. We we uh, got to go to TSN just uh, in, in Scarborough there, just up the road, uh, not too far from me. Uh, Connor, you know, I don't know if people know this. Like he lives in Kingston, so that is that is a long, long drive um, where he has to come in. Luckily, it was the, the same night. Uh, before practice, they practice uh, at the old Brampton Memorial Arena. But he came in, um, was nervous as 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 can be. Um, 
but man, he he knocked it out of the park. He knew his lines. He ad libbed a little bit too, which I think made it great. Him fixing his his head, uh, <laughs> his earpiece that wasn't even meant to be, but it it just kind of had to be a lure. Um, I thought it was uh, you know he did a great job and it was a lot of fun. It was cool being there um, on Jay Onright's Sports Center um, set. Really, really yeah. cool experience, and uh, I, I think a lot of people had fun with it. And let's be honest, that's what this was all about. It was, it was yeah, about the, uh, fun and, the, and promoting the game in Montreal. The fake whistle blow was unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> it was just one of the funniest parts of the whole skit. Um, I thought just the whole playoff, the slap shot thing was unbelievable. And then I know Evan Schemenauer. Uh, sent it to the Hanson brother guys. Uh, they gave it the old fist pound, and then they sent another tweet saying, you know, lacrosse is a lot tougher than hockey. This was well done. So when you get love from the Hansons and the guys you're sort of stealing the shtick from, uh, just absolutely unbelievable stuff. All right, let's get into Yeah, week- that was pretty surreal. Yeah, it was. Let's 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 get into week ten. Uh, we got to keep things moving here. Uh, again, Friday night started off with back to back overtime games. Uh, Halifax was up. They led most of the way. They allowed the Wings to come back in that game, but Jammer wins it in overtime. How big of a win was that? Do you think for the Halifax Thunderbirds just to keep some momentum going? It was massive, but I would be lying if I didn't say that, you know, talking to Mike DeCurzy and some of the, the players on the Thunderbirds this week and ready for the game this week, that they they were pretty pissed off. Like, you know, some teams would be like, oh, wow, what a great, gritty performance. We won in overtime. We, we fended off the comeback. Big win. They do obviously feel that way, but they also feel that, one of the glaring weaknesses right now for the Thunderbirds is the inability to keep the foot on the gas. Yeah. And that is something that Micah Kersey has been stressing. That's something that the veterans on this team have been stressing. And the offense says, you know, yeah, I get it. You know, you know, there's goals that go in for them to close the gap, but they also say it's also on us to continue to score and not let up and not waste possessions. So that's something that I think going forward, they realize if they want to be a championship contender, if they want to, t- you know, go from being that mid-pack team to a team that's going to be battling at the end of the year, they got to figure out ways to put teams away and not allow them to get back. And yeah, lacrosse gamer runs. Teams are going to come back. Teams are going to pot goals. But for, for them to not get it to that point, um, massive, massive for them. Because let's not forget uh, about a month or so ago, uh, very, very similar game where Philly comes back, but they were the ones to win in overtime. So, yes, all things considered, uh, disappointed that they were able to allow them back in the game again. But I think uh, at the end of the day, they're still pretty pumped that they were able to get a big overtime victory. Uh, the Swarm get a big overtime victory over the Warriors, a much-needed win for them. Uh, Adam Charlambides ties it. Um, and then Andrew Q wins it in overtime by a millisecond, maybe, depending on what angle you're looking at on that replay. But another heartbreaker in overtime for the Vancouver Warriors. Yeah, I I really don't want to get in, in on <laughs> No, the, we don't have the, to get into that. On the I don't want to break so your brain. Good, good. Um, 
things need to meet, you know, things need to change. And, and I think, uh, I think you, it's almost like you foreshadowed it the, 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 the week before or the, uh, that week talking about VAR and how there needs to be a change. So we talked about it last week. We don't need to, to talk about it again. We know something needs to change in the national lacrosse league when it comes to these reviews and, you know, um, centralizing. So there's my piece. We won't rehash it again. With that being said, on the flip side, more of the game, the impact on things. This is a big, big win for Georgia, but I think they're probably like, okay, we got by, we picked up a win. Um, great vibes, but let's use this as a launching point to get back to the way that we were playing at the start of the year. Uh, I think that's something that they, they'll be hanging on to. On the flip side, Vancouver, I mean, you got to be pleased with the bounce back, the fight that that group showed. I thought Aaron Bold was great in between the pipes. I thought the defense looked phenomenal. Um, But again, this is another close game where this Warriors team isn't able to be on the right side of victory. You think about this overtime loss. You think about the one against Colorado. Where would this team be if you flip the script and, and even win one of those games? What would it do for the psyche? But Kurt Malowski will be the first one to tell you that you know, this is all about the, the process. This is all about what you need to learn to win. You got to find ways. You, you're you not just going to be handed these victories. You got to find a way. And it hurts right now, um, but in the long haul, and I know this team has a lot of veterans on the back end, but this is a young team. I don't, th- I think you'd be crazy if you thought that this team was just going to, you know, flip the switch and, and become a championship contender overnight. They're building something. And as long as these overtime wins don't continue to to climb up and you don't learn from those losses, um, these, these heartbreakers will make them stronger in the long run. Yeah. A line we always used with our junior B team was adversity doesn't build character. It reveals character. So let's see what this warrior team can do after a couple heartbreaking overtime losses. Uh, Last year, the Calgary Roughnecks were 13 and five. This year, they've already lost five games. Uh, they dropped a pair this weekend by just three goals. Like this weekend could have gone completely the other way. They could have won two games. But is there concern for the Calgary Roughnecks, you think? I definitely think there is concern. I think when you look at the team, you look at the the roster, it's pretty close to what it was last year. Yeah. Pluck a couple of players here and there with some trades and free agencies and I mean, the elephant in the room is the coaching staff. Like, is is there some contention? Is are they still adjusting to the way that this new coaching staff is coaching? Um, is is the message lost? I, I don't know. I think I think when you look at, they've just lost a lot of close games and haven't been able to figure out ways to win. So I think you have to because it's the unified standings. And you have to have urgency, and you can't just allow these wins to 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 mount. Um, but this is still a good lacrosse team. I, I just something's got to give. I, I think I'd be remiss not to ask you. You were in the building for both games. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something up with this team, or is it just the uh, yeah, bounces? I think, maybe I think because I- there is a little contention between like the old regime, like there were the mouse guys that, you know, they did so many things, so many years, the way mouse did it. And they want to kind of keep that ideas and that feeling 
with this group. And, and Schroeder's just trying to change a few things. He wants to do things a little bit his way. And I think there's just been a struggle um, of guys kind of just getting over the fact that Mouse isn't there anymore. This is now Josh's team. He's trying to make it his own. He's not trying to reinvent the wheel. But there definitely is something amiss with this group. It's crazy to think that uh, they're one of three teams with losing records that have a positive goal differential. Them, Saskatchewan, and Panther City are all on the good side uh, of the goal differential. But, you know, they're two and five. Sass two and four. Panther City three and four. So, you know, th- this team isn't far off. You know, they're playing the, the top teams very closely. They're just not winning the games that they were winning uh, in the past. So, Maybe a little panic, but I think this team still has the character and the leadership in that locker room to, to really turn things around. Um, speaking of the game, one of the games they lost, Jeff Teat, so damn smooth with it. Uh, the guy is just unbelievably good. It's the first time I actually got to watch him as a fan. You know, other times I've I've kind of watched him as a broadcaster in the booth, but just being able to sit in the stands and watch what he does is so unbelievable. But New York has now won three in a row. First time they've done that in franchise history. Uh, we'll get more on this from Cooper Perkins a little bit later, but have they turned the corner? They certainly have turned the corner. And it's, for me, it's, I was a firm believer that, you know, just things weren't working well with them, that, you know, they weren't. They weren't the electric offense that we've seen in, in flashes during last year, even the year before that. I thought, you know, Dunkerley. I thought he's he's been solid, and you can't really hang hang any of those losses or too many of the losses on him. And I really felt that Lattisor was just being too much of, well, the ball's going to drop. I trust mm-hmm. these guys. The bounces are going to come our way. I'm starting to think he was right, and the bounces just weren't coming their way. They were getting their opportunities because I don't think they were playing that much different. I think the confidence is a lot higher. I think, uh, you know, w- with us talking to Riley O'Connor last week, you could tell that the confidence is there. Yeah. And, you know, you add a, and a guy like Stephen Keogh, that completely changes the, the, the way the offense plays, the way the offense probably plays a little bit bigger not afraid to go to the middle of the floor because they got a guy like Keo who's there freeing up space. And and if, you know, if someone does dirty you, he's not afraid to go up the next shift and, and dirty you back or drop the gloves. Um, I, I just think that this offense is playing very similar, but just a little more of, of a chip on their shoulder, a little more swagger. And when those goals start to come, um, they're, they're snowball and they just, just continue to run. And I think their defense, I thought their defense – has been pretty good as well. Like I just think it's 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 a lot of it's not just the offense, the ball starting to drop. Right. I just think that all that it maybe starts with that. It starts with the offense, but it's a trickle down effect. And this team's legit, man. I, I think it's a huge test this week against San Diego. Oh, yeah. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but you know if they pick up a win against San Diego, I, I, I think that we can now start to say that this isn't just a fluke. Like, this is a good lacrosse team. Yeah, they, and they were down in that game and, and found a way to come back and hold on to a lead. So that that really shows the test of character in that team, and that's really started to change because in years past, they wouldn't have been able to make that comeback late in that game to get a victory on the road. Um, speaking of victories on the road, after an absolute shit-kicking by Panther City the week before, Vegas gets a massive bounce back 
They take on an Albany team that didn't have Dougie. Uh, I thought Justin Getty was absolutely phenomenal and phenomenal in between the pipes uh, for that game. But Albany has now lost back-to-back games um, where Dougie has played a quarter and a half. Is, is there concern that Dougie may not be able to recover or get healthy? And can they rely on Justin Getty? So I, let's be honest. There's obviously a, a drop-off. Like, yeah. let's not be crazy here. Big fan of Getty. I think he's going to be a great goalie. I think he's going to be a starting goalie one day. But the drop-off is real. Let, like, let, let's call it how it is. Um, Doug Jameson is one of the top three, maybe five, if you want to you know, be tough on him. He is an elite goalie. Mm-hmm. He is an elite goalie. He's one of the best goalies in the league. I'd probably have him, you know, somewhere in that three to four range. And yep. on some nights, he's he could put up an argument for number one. The issue is that it's not that you're with without Dougie. It's it's the offense is starting to dry up. The yeah. balls. It's the flip opposite of New York. At the start of the year, man, Albany couldn't couldn't miss. Like their shots were dropping. They were scoring at at ease. Everything, you know, and a lot of people were saying, well, give them some time. The film, once they get the film on them, they'll be able to figure it out. Well, the film came and still teams weren't able to figure it out. Just sometimes uh, lacrosse is a weird game. Just you can go through these shooting slumps. And unfortunately for Albany right now, it's like it just seems like everyone is in a shooting slump. Like, it is just compounding right now. And again, it's only a couple of games, so it could turn around and they've got some elite talent up front, but you know, Simmons has two goals in three games on mm-hmm. 31 shots. Like the ball's not dropping for him. Like it was at the start of the year. Yeah. He's uh, cooled off. Yeah, it definitely has. So they need to figure things out, get back on the horse, get healthy and see where this team can kind of push things. Uh, the Bandits hold on to beat Rochester in a classic I-90 battle. Um, Dane reaches the 1,000-point mark. Um, just an incredible milestone for a guy that started his career out the back door, but he continues to show that he is the elite of the elite. Uh, what does this win do for Buffalo? Is it a positive builder, or does it kind of still clarify, glare, or clarify that they do have some glaring issues? Well, you know, from from what we've heard is that, you know, some of the veterans in the locker rooms, you know, stepped up after the game and, and basically said, like, you know, it's great that we won, but like we got to figure out a way to, to start playing bandits lacrosse again. You know, we're not going to just get by by our talent alone. We we need to be able to play a, a full 60, similar to what I talked about with with Halifax and, and not putting teams away. The offense can't just keep going cold for the quarters at a time. We know it. The Bandits are a streaky team in games. They'll they'll go on runs. They'll cool off. They'll go on runs. They'll cool off. But those cooling off periods can't be for a full quarter, a quarter and a half, extended times. They're, they're far they're far too good. The defense can't have those lapses where it's you know shift after shift. You're giving up open open looks, and I know. They're banged up on the back end. They're a championship team, obviously. Now, like you know, they've 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 tasted it. They know what they need to do. And as good as their offense was last year, during the playoffs, uh, it was Matt Vince and it was that defense who really stepped up. Yeah. And 
because they're so banged up, it's been a lot of the offense that has had to carry the weight. So the offense can't really afford to, to, to go through these lulls. So, you know, I think once they maybe add some more bodies, when they get a little healthier, the defense will be a little bit better. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, if it's another performance where they're giving up a bunch of goals, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Chugger pull trigger and bring in another veteran defender and, yeah. and try to beef up that back end. Um, uh, speaking of goaltenders, Rosie and Christian Del Bianco dueled in Calgary's second game of the weekend, but Rosie outlasts him, get his 100th career win, uh, just the fifth NLL goalie to do so. The Rock get the first in the home and home, and that is a huge win for the Toronto Rock to keep momentum going and get one up on Calgary. Massive, massive, and, and oh man, what a what a treat between those two goalies. Um, shout out to you guys. I thought you guys had a great game, great call, and and the and the fellas on the turf put on uh, on a show. It was uh, it was a game for me where you still got to see all these brilliant offensive plays, but to its core, it was a, a gritty defensive battle. Uh, and then two great goalies put on on a show. Uh, for 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 me though, I wanted to quickly ask you. You were there in the building. That rock offense at times looks like unstoppable, but similar to what we talked with Buffalo, it seems like they go through lulls where they can't really, they just don't look like themselves. And do you think that's just them still getting used to each other? There's so many new bodies there. And, you know, you throw in a Tom Schreiber who changes the way the offense yeah. works. Is, is that what it is? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you added in Lintner, you added in Mark Matthews, that kind of changed the offense a bit. You didn't have Schreiber for the first third of the season. Uh, so I, I do think they're still trying to get used to each other. The fact that they can allow a guy like Tyler Hendricks to run up and play some minutes, and he had two big goals for them, um, they're getting contributions from a little bit everywhere. You know, we, we talk about Justin Martin, what he's been able to do in transition, staying and playing a little bit. Challenge kind of running both ways. They were using him out the front and then using him out the back. I, I think this is just an offense that's still, which is scary, still trying to figure out their how they're going to run it. Are they going to be a righty strong or a lefty strong? Is Matthews going to be the primary ball carrier or is it going to be Schreiber? So um, I think they they still have a lot of time to figure this out, which is scary because they're already one of the most dominant offenses in the National Cross League. And if they just figure it out, um, like Tom Schreiber is ridiculous with it, man. Like he is just so good. Um, I actually think Matthews has taken a bit of a step back this year in, yeah. in Toronto. He obviously got off to a hot start, but teams are kind of starting to figure him out and, and that offense can kind of drive. It sits in the stick a little bit, but Corey small is still one of the most natural shooters in the game. And Dan Craig is very underrated still, um, but I think this is just a team that, that still hasn't quite figured it out just because guys have been out of the lineup so much. But trust me, they'll figure it out. And the way the Rosie and that defense is playing, they are going to be a scary threat in the National Lacrosse League in the last half of the season. Speaking of scary threats, the San Diego Seals absolutely dominated the Colorado Mammoth. Uh, a soft trick for Austin Stotts, 10 points for Curtis Dixon. Dixon, 1,100 points in his career for Dane Doby. Uh, just an unbelievable performance by the Seals at home over their rivals, Colorado. That was a flex your muscles game yeah. for San Diego. I think we all were talking about like, 
you know, San Diego, they just, you know, they, they, they're a team that brings their lunch pail and hard hat. They look different. They feel different. They just, you know, but they're not blowing teams out. They're finding ways to win. They look really good, but, you know, whereas this one, it was like, okay, Colorado, you're our rival, but we're going to smush you here. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. 61 shots on goal. Um, you mentioned all the, obviously all the the accolades offensively, but then you look at the defense and Chris Origlieri. Still, he had tw- you know just sub thirty saves once again. He's been so calm, cool, and collected in that that uh, net that this Seals team is so so scary. And I think the shine has come off them because the last two years, a lot of people are like, okay, this is the year they do it. And last year, you know, they bring in those big pieces offensively and everyone's like, okay, there's no way they don't win this year. They're going to do it for Brody. Okay. Brody retires. Yeah. So they're like, okay, maybe, maybe this team's just not going to win. And you look at the, the odds, they were a little bit further down in years past. You look at people's preseason power rankings. Oh, they were at like three and four instead of one. Well, if you don't have this SEALs team at number one or number two on your power rankings or in your odds boards, like something's wrong here because this might be the most complete SEALs win we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, they have a massive game this weekend as they go coast to coast to take on the New York Riptide. Cooper Perkins has been around the team all year long. And we'll do a deep dive in the analytics and the strength of the SEALs team right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. One of the hottest teams in the National Lacrosse League are the San Diego SEALs. And joining us to talk all about them and and about lax metrics is our man Cooper Perkins. What's up, pal? Teddy, always happy to come on, man. How you doing? Uh, I am great. Um, Finally got to travel to a game. Got to watch watch a game as a fan this weekend in Calgary, so um, it, it was a great weekend. And uh, looking forward to Super Bowl and watching all the games this weekend. So life life is pretty good. Um, you're dealing with some rain down there in, in Southern California. Are you okay? Yeah, you know, it knocked the internet out a couple of times the last few days. So this week's Lax Metrics took a little bit of extra time to get out there published and whatnot. So by the time this uh, this Hits your radio dial wherever you're listening. It should be live on the NLL social pages and whatnot. But uh, it was a bit of a slog getting through the outages for sure. Yeah. How we've talked to you before about lax metrics, but how long does it take you to go through every game and every scenario and every stat? Like you must be up till all hours of the morning. You know, originally when I first started it, it took like a half hour to get through every game. But in the last couple of years, well, hold on. In the last couple of years, it added more and more things that we're tracking. <laughs> so th- these days, it's like an hour 15 a game almost. So in a week like this where there are eight games, it's like 10 and a half, 11 hours worth of work, sometimes yeah. more. Um, that's just before you get into the data entry. I got some help in the data entry, which is good. So it's not just, you know, plugging numbers in the spreadsheets. <laughs> but watching the film's a project. You know, I don't, I don't really look forward to Sunday anymore. That's kind of a yeah. kind of a crappy day. But it's good. You know, it's fun. And you get to see everything. And you know, one of the pros of it is, you know, I'm not just like looking at numbers. I'm actually watching every game that happens. So mm-hmm. I feel like when I say something about, you know, this team or that team, it's partially based off of numbers, but also there is a component of the eye test because like the numbers aren't just like automatically populated, you know, yeah. like I'm 
I'm actually watching everything and getting a sense for it. So it's been kind of fun. It makes it really easy to prep for games for broadcast. Is like I know every player in the league by number or body type. So like <laughs> yeah. the spotting boards are just about stats and fun things. It's not yeah. about figuring yeah. out who's who, you know? Exactly. Um, yourself and Ty Merrill obviously have been doing unreal work on the analytic, analytical side of the National Lacrosse League. Um, he was kind of talking about how the, the power play goals, the shorthanded goals is very weighted towards power play goals. Not a whole lot of shorties so far this year, but what's the one trend that stood out to you in the first half of the season? I think what's interesting is that teams are finishing chances at a lower rate than the last couple of years, like collectively across the league. The last couple of years, like the average conversion rate on good chances was like 30 to 31%. And this time it's like 27 to 28. So just league wide, I think that has something to do with, it's been a really good goaltending year. Mm-hmm. You know, there haven't been a lot of teams that have had goaltending issues. And I, I think we're also seeing some teams like New York that are creating more chances, but not necessarily finishing them. So it's been really interesting kind of watching as these teams are manufacturing the same amount of chances and not necessarily finishing them at the same level. And like, you know, outside of the Panther City game against Vegas, we also haven't seen like a whole biggest, a whole lot of big scoring outbursts. Yeah. It's been kind of a decent defensive year. Do you feel more teams are putting weight into analytics or is it still fairly foreign to most teams to be using? I think it depends on what kind of analytics you're talking about, you know, because like I think there are like six teams that have relationships with first line and Eddie. Right. Which is cool. That's great. Uh, I don't know what Ty's situation is with working with teams. I know in my situation, there are maybe three or four teams that have been pretty interested in it a couple that are like very much interested in it, which I, I think is cool. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, and this isn't selling a product or anything, this goes for my work, Ty's work, Eddie's work, all of it is just, yeah. I don't know why teams wouldn't be interested in it because it's just something to have. Yeah. And if you're not interested in it, someone else has it, you know, like there's no barrier to entry. Anyone can get involved in it. How much attention you pay to it, how much weight you put on it is up to you and whatever your priorities are. But like, I don't know why more don't use it. It's kind of interesting and curious to me. So when you look at the analytics, is it telling the the true story of the standings right now? Are they favoring the teams that are at the top? I think for the most part now it is. Calgary had kind of been breaking the standings a little bit or breaking the stats a little bit for a couple of weeks. But with their bad weekend, they kind of got shaken out pretty good. And like, that makes sense. The more games get played, the further along we go, the better the stats get, the more dialed in they are. But like, I think the standings are exactly where they should be with the exception of maybe Albany still being a little bit overrated. Um, You know, six early wins helps a lot, but like Mm. they got defensive problems that they need to sort out. And and granted, they played well on that side this weekend, but you know, I'm not totally convinced to them. But what the, the stats really tell us more than anything are kind of like who the under the radar guys are that maybe yeah. only coaches would see. Like Albany's got one, Patrick Kaschok, who's just been having a banana land year. And like, I don't think anyone talks about him. The dude has like no candidacy for like a DPOY. And like, will he win it? I probably not. But like, those are the kinds of things that I love from analytics that you yeah. see that guy's awesome. Like Ty Kurtz, you know, like he gets some love next to Alex Simmons, but like, you could make a case that he's just as valuable to their offense and all that. And like, those are the cool stories that I really like. The one thing that I always question and, and still can't wrap my head around is explain to me 
an expected save or an expected goal? Like how, what is classified as expected? Like, because, you know, a coach will say, well, our goalie should be making every save or you should be scoring on every one-on-one chance. So how do you classify quote unquote expected? So there are two kinds of stats in like the lax metrics world. One of them are stats that have classifications like uh, pick assists or unrealized assists. Like we have to look at them, watch the film, make a judgment call and decide whether it qualifies or not. The expected stats are 100% based on math. So what you're getting caught up in has more to do with the language of it than the actual nature of the stat. So what the expected numbers are, like expected goals is a really good example, right? Yeah. You know, like we talked about Zach Vans earlier this year, how he was outpacing his expected goals. What that number comes back to and what expected saves comes back to is it totally is based on the volume that players see relative to the rest of the league and their peers, and then uses some advanced math to project what they should be doing given what they see. So it has nothing to do with, you know, that's a save Frankie should have made, or like that's a goal that you know Jeff T should have scored. It has yeah. more to do with Jeff T shoots this much, everyone else shoots this much. We crunch some numbers, we work out some math. Hmm. He should probably have about this many goals. He actually has this many. So it has it's we're not trying to say like this guy isn't finishing chances he should be finishing. Like there are other stats that kind of looked at you know look at that a little bit. But what we're really saying is based on the mathematics and the numbers and all of like the numerical components, this is what like the projection says this guy should have from a goals or save standpoint. Is that a, is that a formula that's kind of consistent through all analytics, through all sports? I think it's a concept that's consistent, but not really a formula. Like it all comes back to like derivatives and calculus. So anytime, anytime you're, you're doing, you know, analytical stuff, you're going to have some degree of higher math involved. And like, it's not crazy higher math. It's not like, you know, linear algebra or something ridiculous <laughs> like my engineering friends used to take in college but you know it, it is it is math based yeah i uh i didn't do too well in math so uh, i will continue <laughs> to let you guys do that um the seals are one of the hottest teams in the nll once again but we've seen this before from them gotten off to a great start they've been the tops in the west during the regular season then playoffs come and they kind of fade What's different about this group? I'm going to give you the least analytical answer on the planet. Vibes. The team is completely <laughs> different from a vibe standpoint. You know, like we can look at numbers and talk about things and talk about players' performances and who's contributing in what ways. Like, uh, you know, uh, Austin's obviously having a crazy year. He's taking a step forward. He's, he's starting to play at his potential that he was supposed to be at when he was a number one pick, you know, like seeing Dobie turn a corner and be a bigger contributor this weekend is a huge factor in how you defend the, defend the offense. But what it really comes down to, in my opinion, and I was talking to a about this in the elevator, uh, going down to the game this weekend, just this team just feels so much different. It's lighter. Guys are having fun. Guys are easier to approach more. You just friendlier. I think you brought in some really good pieces in like Kyle Rubish and Mike Poulin, just, fantastic dudes who are just the salt of the earth. And it seems like everyone's just looser, you know, like there's definitely pressure, right? Cause they yeah. know what was done in the off season. They know how good they are on paper, but it's just a group that seems like they're actually happy to be there this year, as opposed to feeling the pressure to win. And I think that you can't understand how, like how big of a difference that is. So like 
you know, analytically they're doing some things better. The goaltending's better. You know, they're taking advantage of opportunities a little bit better. Austin's playing awesome. But the big thing, in my opinion, is just this team seems like it has grown together a lot quicker. And I don't know if it ever came together 100% either the last two seasons. I think there was always so much pressure involved and so much concern over not wanting to lose or being afraid of, you know, losing to Colorado again, what, what have you. And I think part of that comes back to Patrick also. I think Patrick, as a head coach, just seems looser. He's just, he's not as, as tightened up and, and he's not as concerned about little things, I don't think. And like, I'm not in the locker room with them, so I can't say that 100%. But just from my conversations with him, observing practices, observing shoot arounds, and, and trying to get that general sense, the guy just seems like he's taken a step forward in his coaching to be more comfortable with everything. And that's resonated throughout the rest of the roster. And guys just are having fun and are loose and it's showing up. So this might be a analytics and vibes question. I know you're big on him. I agree with you, but Westberg make the case for why Westberg should not only be in the MVP candidate race, but why you think he should be the MVP. If you do, I know you were big on him last year. I know you like him. And I think it's, it's more than just what he does and what shows up in the spreadsheet. I think he brings a lot to the game. You know, like he is the team's captain for a reason. You know, I think that group just rallies around Wes and he's one of the most fun dudes to be around. I think in this juncture in the season it'd be hard to make a case for him over austin stats from the seals just because austin's playing at a crazy level he's scoring the ball every defense is like visibly panicked when he gets an iso and like that's kind of funny to see you know like whether it's a good defender or an old guy caught back on d like there's just this little frozen moment of like oh shit here's austin you know <laughs> but with wes what he brings is the ability to contribute so much without the ball in his stick and like we say that about a lot of guys but i think he takes it to a different level and some of the lax metric stuff actually try to quantitate you know quantitate that um it's just what he brings as a guy is like the ultimate weapon and I think any team in the league would want him if they could have him. And it'd be interesting. Like, I wonder what like the trade conversation would be about Westberg. If like his Calgary situation was happening right now, you know, cause like his game's taken a huge step forward in the last four or five years. And like, what would it be like trying to get a guy who can do absolutely everything? I mean, even when he gets trapped on defense, he's like, he's competent. You know, he's not like, yeah. he's not quite Dane Smith level on that end, but like he's a small step down, which is, a crazy thing to think about because it has only been a forward effort, you know, but I think the biggest thing with Wes is the way he works without the ball and also the way everyone on the floor benefits from his being there. And he finally has the points that start to back up that kind of conversation of like, Hey, this guy's crazy valuable. But I think this year he's going to you know, end up splitting attention with teammates because the offense is actually playing as well as it's supposed to be. And he's not kind of like, the hero stepping up to to solve problems and things aren't going right. Things are just going well. And guys like Austin are having big years and Dixon's still scoring a ton of goals. And, you know, but I think the biggest thing with, with Wes is just the way that he impacts the game across multiple facets. Um, I want to stick on this trend of you lauding for players. Um, a hot take this week is that we're going to see a new transition player there. It won't be Chowan. It won't be Zach Courier. So make the case for Trey LeClaire. 
You know, that's an interesting one because I don't think I can make it in good conscience because he's a forward. Is, like, is he playing more out the front than, than out the yeah, back this year? Yeah, he's playing almost exclusively out the front. And like the league hasn't updated the way they classify players in, in positions. So like he's still listed as a tranny guy. But like as far as the team's concerned and as far as their offense is concerned, like he's a full-time forward. Um, I'd be curious to see what that would look like if he was still playing a lot of tranny. But like they've basically moved Jake Govett into the trailer player right. role from last year. And yeah. so, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can good conscience right, say that. You know, never mind. Okay. Never mind, Cooper. <laughs> never I'll, mind. I'll, I'll save my partner. Although full disclosure, we're transparent here. I came halfway through this this interview, so <laughs> hand up on me. Uh, find me whatever you want. Um, but I'll come in here and save you then. Here, Teddy, make a case for someone to win transition player of the year that is not named Curry or or Rogers. Matt Gilray. Um, Matt Gilray's having an awesome year in transition. Uh, what he brings on Rochester's roster from a transition standpoint is crazy. You know, like it feels like he scores every week. He's always creating something. Uh, he stays and plays a little bit of offense here and there. The only thing I want to see from him. And like, this is where the metrics kind of hurt him a little bit is defensively. He's given up a lot of goals, but we're not talking about a DPOY. We're talking about, you know, a transition guy. So I, I think yeah. that if you were going to dip outside of the usual guys, he would be one and the other would be Ian McKay. Um, the numbers absolutely yes. love Ian McKay. And I think when you watch him, it backs it up, you know, like that's another guy that quietly has just been so good. He's fantastic. He, he brings a different element to, to what they do with that team. And like, if you take him off that roster, like who's going to be the guy that makes things happen in transition? Like, I, I don't think they have one, you know, like he is one of the top probably 15, 10 or 15 athletes in the NLL. And like, that is a great indicator of like who is going to be capable of contributing in those situations. So I, I'd take one of those two guys maybe a Matt Gilray, if Rochester starts winning again and figures out a way to be a contender and not just be a, team that starts three and oh and scores a ton of goals and gives up way more goals. But I, I love both Matt Gilray and Ian McKay's games. It's a pretty cool considering I think they were what back to back picks uh, in, in 2018 yeah. together. Yeah. So that'd be a nice little storyline down the stretch. Uh, speaking of storylines, I think it's one of the best storylines. I think people are finally talking about it. Uh, but you guys down in SoCal have been talking about it for a while. The big question mark coming into this season for the Seals was in between the pipes. Um, that question mark has been turned into an exclamation mark with Chris O'Regalieri. Hand up. I knew how good he was in junior. I, I knew that he was dominating this summer. I just wasn't sure if he was quite ready to make the jump. He's made that jump. He's running with it. Um, how cool is it to see how quickly he's developed into uh, one of the top goalies in the league this year? I mean, hand up. Six weeks ago, I texted Doug Locker, who's like the analytics leader and one of the scouting directors to SEALs and a close friend. I was like, I don't know if Chris is ready. You know, it, it's, it's been, this has not been the best start. There, there were some instances where he's scoring on himself, but it just looked like it looked like a really good, you know, a really, really good junior goalie playing in the NLL, you know, where he's going to make a ton of stops and make mistakes. And something switched, and he's just been absolutely fantastic since that Vegas game. Like, that was when it yeah. all seemed to come together. And it's so cool because, like, we've seen his work since day one, and we've seen how he's 
grown up and matured because he went from being like a quiet wallflower kid from the farm to being like kind of an electric personality. And, you know, some of that comes from being 18 as opposed to 21, you know, like we remember going through college and being that age and, and you figure yourself out a little bit and you start to get confident, but it's more than just his play. Like he's always approached things with a seriousness and like a desire to get better and desire to be good. But like, I think anyone around him would agree that like that belief that he is one of the best is totally there. And like there are areas of his game he needs to shore up, you know, like we saw it this week for the first time this season where they actually started to emphasize getting the ball up and out down the floor, trying to stretch it out with some passing. And that's an area that he'll need to continue working on. But from a shot stopping standpoint, like he's, he's playing like one of the best two or three goalies in the league, which is crazy. And you know, like everyone was making the comparison to Dylan Ward last week, which like, I don't really get personally, you know, like they're both tall and from Orangeville and like Chris is an active goalie, but like, no one's as active as Dylan and like Dylan's a really good passer. So you take away like one of the best aspects of Dylan's game. And like, I, I guess he's kind of a parallel, but just the whole development in season, in addition to over the last three years has been really cool because they trusted him and they, they took a chance. And I think that if you talk to their coaching staff, the thing that they would all probably agree on is that Mike Poulin has been a tremendously good influence. He was brought there specifically to be Chris's backup and to be like the old hand in the room that's been there, that's done that, that knows how to communicate to a younger guy. And like, I know everyone loves him, but especially that relationship, I think has been really, really fruitful. So give Patrick Merrill the DM of the year for going out and getting the best backup goaltender in the league. That, that move might've been what ends up making the difference in their season. Obviously as a GM, he did a few other moves. Uh, he brings in Kyle Jackson. You mentioned pool and Rubish and Baptiste have probably been the two biggest off season additions and, and both have played vital roles in bringing more depth and ball possession. How have they changed the look of this team? You know, I think with Trevor Baptiste, it's obvious because you went from a team that had Danny Logan taking faceoffs, trying to make them as dirty as they possibly could and hoping to win 40% to now expecting to win at least 60, if not 70% a night. And the reason that's so big and leans a little bit into the faceoffs matter crowd is the offense is so talented and so dangerous that if you can give them five to seven extra possessions a game, they're probably going to get two to four extra goals. And those are just chances that the other team also doesn't have to score. So I think what he's done is take some pressure off of the offense because they know they're going to get the ball back. And he's also given them an opportunity to build momentum, which we saw against Colorado this weekend, right? It's like an 11 nothing run. And granted, it was stretched over 30 minutes, but some of that comes back to the Mammoth not having the ball that much. And so he's just been invaluable in that aspect. I think with Kyle Rubish, He's made their short man a lot better, which is huge. I don't know if the numbers really support that yet. They've still struggled on the penalty kill, but I think that's because they've taken a lot of penalties and it's something that they, they really need to, to work on. But he's still one of, if not the best, like one-on-one defenders in the league. You know, he draws the toughest assignment. He makes things challenging for other teams. And he's allowed other guys, like namely Graydon Bradley, to step into bigger roles and feel confident because of who's around them. 
And also the defense has been really banged up until recently. Like Eli Gobrek just made his season debut. Drew Belgrave missed a couple of weeks. Danny Logan's out now. But like consistently they have their anchor back there in Rubes who is so communicative and so active in passing lands. And like the, the, the cause turnover numbers aren't really there to the same level that they've been in the past. But I think that's more a function of the team's defensive style than anything he is or isn't doing. But in the same way that Trevor Baptiste is allowing them to feel more comfortable offensively, knowing they're going to get the ball back. I think in the back end, guys are feeling more comfortable because they've got so much support and they know they've got a guy that's kind of like the big wheeling man on campus. You know, any offense that sees him on the other side knows that they have to deal with him. And that makes life a little bit easier because, you know, opposing offenses might press a little bit here and there. And, you, you know, one bad pass turns into a turnover, turns into a possession on the other end. Big game on Long Island this week. Um, maybe flip flip the the side of the the coin here, um, because obviously the Seals are the favorites in this game. How how does the Riptide come out with a win uh, against the Seals team? So by the time this comes out, Lax Metrics, the NLL will have come out, and that is focused 100% on the New York Riptide this week. Kind of what's been different in the five games since their 0 three start. And it's interesting because they've gotten a lot better on both sides of the ball. It's not just like one thing's changed, Jeff T's scoring more. I mean, like all those things add up to four wins in five games. But I think the biggest question of can New York win that game or not is how Cameron Dunkerley plays. He's been, I think, surprisingly good, hasn't gotten enough attention. And in the last five games, he's been playing pretty darn well, which is huge for them because – they don't have like a Kyle Rubish guy, you know, like Matt Marigny is solid, you know, Brett knows where these had some struggles here and there. Like they, they've got some players, but they don't have an anchor in the back end. So they need their guy between the pipes to be that anchor. And if he's able to rob two, three goals and keep them in it early when things you know might be a little bit tenuous, they can score with anybody and, and they're creating more chances than anybody. Connor Kiernan is playing out absolutely out of his gourd, which is fun because Jeff Teat gets all the love as he should because he's the sexiest player in lacrosse and it's fun to watch him <laughs> score goals. But like Connor Kiernan, like might be the MVP of that offense, not in like a traditional, you take him away, where are the goals? But like he brings so much in like that Westberg role. I, I think they're probably like the, the closest parallel between each other of two, uh, of, of two guys in the league. Like, they're different physically. They don't have the same kinds of skills with the ball in their sticks, but they contribute in all of the same ways and have the same difference making power in their offenses. So like I'd look at Cameron Dunkerley and Connor Kiernan as the two temperature makers for that team offensively and defensively. Like if those guys play well, if those guys, if they have great games, I wouldn't be surprised to see them beat San Diego at all. They could beat San Diego by three goals. If those two guys play awesome. But if, San Diego gets a few early ones. Yeah, things start pressing. All of a sudden, you, are, you, are, are we the 0-3 team or are we the 4-1 team? Questions start to come in. You never know how that shakes out. But, like, I, I think they're right there. And, and like, my closing line in the article I wrote this week was basically if they, if they win their next two games, make New York a contender for the whole thing. Don't just make them a playoff contender. Like, they're good enough. That is a spicy, spicy take to start the broadcast. Um we didn't really touch on Dane Doby, but 1,100 points in his National Lacrosse League career. He just continues to get it done. What is it about Dane that 
after all these years, all the beatings that he's taken, still allows him to be one of the most elite players in the NLL? I think it's different this year. Um, you'll hear the same platitudes from everyone about how he's this crazy competitor and fiery guy. And like, all that stuff is true. But I think the difference maker this year and his ability to contribute is just how well Austin Stotts is playing. Like there's, there's no pressure on Dane Doby to contribute goals on the left side. And until this week, he really hadn't, he scored eight goals their first you know, seven games and was an attention grabber, but not a point getter in the same way that he's been historically. And I think he's going to have a renaissance in the second half of the season, because I think he is starting to realize that like, because Austin is playing as well as he is. And as long as Austin stays healthy, pick your spots. There are going to be opportunities. You're going to have your three, four goal nights. They're not going to be every night, but you know, he's taking his beatings. He's a crazy competitor, but he's so goddamn smart. It just, it's not just a lacrosse IQ, it's a situation IQ. And I think he's taking another step with that, recognizing that I got one of the best dudes in the league next to me. Like, I don't need to be a hero anymore. Like, the days of having to go score seven in the Saddle Dome are probably done. But that's the best news you could give Dane Doby at 35, 36, whatever he is now, because it's less pressure to have to contend with these guys. And it, it allows for so much more freewheeling in the offense. Like, I think at times the last couple of years, the ball has died in his stick a little bit here and there. And like when the offense has struggled, that's been kind of a culprit that hasn't happened at all this year. Like he's mentally taken that next step into knowing the way that I contribute at the highest level of this team. Isn't just scoring goals. It's definitely still scoring goals, but it's making sure that guys like Austin are able to score goals because those dudes are just crazy. Uh, last one for you. And it's a two parter. Uh, War on the Floor was a raving success. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, Jalbert Productions did an incredible job. Uh, question one, are we going to see another version of it? And question two, how big did Nick Asillo's head get from being a quote-unquote journalist <laughs> in that documentary? <laughs> uh, to the first part of your question, I haven't seen any cameras around, so I don't know if there's a plan. There's nothing going on right now in terms of like actually shooting something. Yeah. Um, so, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold out hope for another thing in nine months, but, uh, it's definitely possible. You know, I think the reception to it was great and like, it was entertaining and fun. I, there were things about it that I hated because that was my first year in the league and my calls blow. So listening <laughs> to myself, get it chimed in on this, like really sucked, but it was cool because people enjoyed it and like, it's fun getting to be a part of it. And, and I thought it was so well done and it really did give you a look, an accurate look at like what being around one of these teams is like for a full season. And it gave you a look at kind of the uniqueness of the seals and what some of the pressure that goes into being that specific team looks like. I would be curious to see what one of those would look like this year. Cause the vibes are so different, you know, like you'd still get to meet players in the same way, but like I just, the energy is, is very, very different. As far as the cello goes, like, have you seen his forehead? You could land a helicopter in that thing. It could not get any bigger. I mean, that man, that man has the biggest head on the planet Earth. I mean, he's, Adam Levy gave him a compliment this week. Yeah, and, and I, I was ready to press the nuclear button. Like it was this, this is, yeah, uh, that thing is ready to fly over New Mexico. It's it's crazy, uh, but no, nah, he's still the best. He's still fun. I think on a serious note, he's grown into his role as an analyst absolutely. really, really, really well. Um, it's fun seeing his development because we came in 
at the same time to the NLL, but from very different backgrounds. Like I came from a broadcasting background, understanding the job and how to go about things. And Nick came from being an idiot. (laughs) That's, that's his background. He came from being an idiot, a smart idiot. Don't get me wrong. Like a book smart, intelligent idiot, but just a jackass. Like he was a jackass as a player. He was a jackass on the podcast. Like that's who Nick Asello is at least publicly. And seeing him develop from being a jackass masquerading as a broadcaster to a, a broadcaster that sprinkles in a little bit of jackass is awesome. You know, and I think that the Seals and like Joe Sai and Steve Govett deserve a ton of credit for seeing that in him and taking the chance. Because anytime you put someone out on, on television to represent your organization is a really significant decision. You know, like we can minimize what our jobs are. But at the end of the day, Teddy, whether it's TSN, Ted, uh, Teddy, excuse me. Pat, whether it's TSN or the T-Birds, like people are trusting us to be representatives of their, their product, their brand. And like, that's a huge choice for them to make. So for people to trust Nick with no background in broadcasting and really nothing illustrating, he could be a serious person at all is, is pretty crazy faith. And I'm glad to see he's rewarded them to the extent that he has because Mm -hmm. he's one of the best. And like, there's a bias in there that he's my partner. But I think that he's become one of the best analysts in lacrosse, and I desperately hope he gets his chance soon to do college games in the U.S. Because I think we saw it over the summer at the World Championships that like you pair him with someone other than me, also, and he's still awesome. And that's something that I think will come for for him soon, if not you know really soon. But you know, to your point, his forehead. His head's gotten big, so he's going to need to be careful. I don't know what the what the big wigs at ESPN think about a guy that's, you know, got a head that big. So he'll need to be careful, but he's a journalist. Uh, <laughs> Cooper, awesome as always, man. Lax Metrics comes out uh, every week uh, on NLL.com. You can also go to his website, uh, get the, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, great job as always. Great call this past weekend. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season, and uh, maybe the Seals can put it all together and make a run. Thanks for your time, pal. Teddy, Pat, thanks as always. Love coming on the show. Love what you guys do. Love the dog in the background, Teddy. Great stuff. (laughs) All right, there's Cooper Perkins. Uh, Great stuff from him as always. When you look at the analytics of this team um, and the way Chris Riglieri has been playing, it, it has to be a very positive sign knowing that there were some questions between the pipes. It's again, I, I said it, Cooper said it like Cooper. I was surprised and shout out for him to being so honest. Like, yeah, like you do kind of forget the start that he had. Um, there was those couple of really weird goals where he basically scores on himself and you're, you're thinking, well, their offense is so good. Like he just has to be okay. Um, up until this past game, like the, the, the seals offense was not lighting the world on fire. And it, it, they just scored just enough. And you could trust that the Seals defense and, and obviously O'Rig could keep the score down. Like I think outside of the Toronto Rock, they have the best goals against average, um, you know, in the entire league. They, they are just a well-oiled machine. And the fact that you plop in this young goaltender uh, and the, the big, the big, moment where I knew this kid was was ready was when he went into bandit land and I know, I know they lost but yeah. he was unflappable and when the bandits went on on their runs it, it didn't melt him down he he seemed like he could those big moments weren't too big for him and 
as a young goalie playing in that building is, is not easy. And it just seems like, you know, he's staring down Dylan Ward, obviously a guy that he probably looked up to. And that didn't like, didn't psych him out. In, in fact, it probably motivated him even more. And <laughs> just, just when you thought that that was going to be maybe the team's Achilles heel, that at the end of the season, he could be the most valuable player to his team is a really, really cool story. Uh, Laxmetrics.com is his site. Uh, you can also go to TyMareLacrosse.com for Ty Marrow stuff. Uh, he's got special teams efficient, efficiency percentage this week as well as starting netminers goal saved against average. And Christian Christopher Irregulari is sitting at number two right behind Nick Rose who is just running away with goalie stats this year. So uh, if you're an analytics person or you want to look deeper into the world of lacrosse, make sure you check out and you're following those two guys. as They do incredible work. Um, before we get to positive vibes, I know we've kind of talked about this a bunch of times and I just kind of found out this past weekend of how it happened. And people are kind of wondering about the schedule breakdown and how, and how it was decided about which teams teams would play twice so this is what the NLL did is they took the standings from last year and broke it down into three tiers, basically an A, B, and a C. And each tier has five teams. So you took the top five teams from last year, Buffalo, Toronto, San Diego, Calgary, Halifax. They're all an A pool team. B pool was Rochester, Panther City, Colorado, Georgia, Philadelphia. Tier two and tier three, Vancouver, Las Vegas, New York, Saskatchewan, Albany. So, Everybody plays everybody once. We all know that. So how did the second team come into play? Well, if you're an A pool team, it's one of those top five teams, you play everybody once, then you play two other A teams twice, and then one B and one C team twice. So your schedule is weighted to play more teams in your tier and then one team from the other tier. So a B team will play everybody, and then two B teams twice, and an A and C team twice, and then the C teams will play everybody once, two C teams twice, and an A and a B team twice. So when you're looking at it, you're like, oh, how come there's not you know more home and homes? How come Vancouver's not playing Calgary twice or Colorado twice? That's just the way the schedule worked out. So Vancouver will play Vegas, New York, Saskatchewan, Albany, one of those, or two of those two teams twice. So you can look at it and just see, oh, that team is a team that was in their tier. That's why they're playing them twice. And it'll change as the years go along. And I'm not sure if they'll they'll I'm not sure if they'll change it every year, if they'll keep this kind of breakdown, but just interesting to see now how it kind of plays out and clar- clarifies why they went this way and, and how they chose the doubleheaders. That's that's really cool. Really cool insight. I appreciate you you bringing this forward because I think a lot of people are kind of curious uh, in some of those things. And, uh, you know, it's very similar to what you see in the NFL. Like the better you do the previous year means you have a tougher schedule and the, mm-hmm. the worse you do is you play worse teams. It's, it's just kind of how it works. That's how you keep balance. That's how you, you know, but I, I do feel I, I do at least my understanding is with those other you know when you play the 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 A teams or whoever in your um, your loop where you decide to who you play twice. Um, uh, From my understanding, again, I think teams and the league have a little bit of flexibility to choose yeah. based on rivalries. 
um, based on, um, you know, geography, landscape, certain things like that. So hopefully going forward, they still keep something to this model, but maybe because a big thing when you read like the press release or hear Brett Frude or, or anyone talk about the new unified standings was the, the, the ability to build new rivalries and showcase um, storylines. So uh, to allow to have some flexibility too. So we do see more of, of Canadian teams play each other. You do see, you know, some of these American teams with some American superstars going head to head that will build more for, you know, when you're dealing with contracts, obviously TSN, we know it's no secret. They want as many head to head Canadian games Mm -hmm. as possible. ESPN, don't know this offhand, but I would assume they probably want to see American teams in bigger markets or want to see Buffalo play games because it's yeah. a great atmosphere. They want to see some of their American uh, NCAA talents uh, showcased as well. So um, good insight there, Teddy. I really appreciate the the transparency. Uh, that's a positive comment. Oh, yeah. Got to stay positive, right? We got to give them that. Positive vibes. All right, positive vibes. Uh, I love yours, so I'll give you the lead. Yeah, this one was not hard, to be honest, to pick for for me. Friday, uh, as soon as it happened, I was like, well, I got my positive vibes (laughs) ready to roll. Uh, Aaron Woods uh, making his NLL debut at the young age of 28. And yes, I know that's that's (laughs) young young for us, but for a NLLer, that's that's pretty old for, yeah. for someone to to make their debut at 20 year, 28 years old. This is a guy that never played junior A lacrosse, uh, played Crazy. the majority of his junior lacrosse in junior C with Clarington. Um, didn't play NCAA, went to school in Carleton. Um, didn't play major series lacrosse up until a couple of years ago, I believe, as well. Um you know, played some arena lacrosse league for the past couple of years, was an MVP in the arena lacrosse league with Peterborough, uh, went to training camp as a free agent. And to be quite honest, from, from what it sounded like, it was like, let's give this guy a try. Um, he's a righty body. Look at our righties. I mean, the chances of him making this roster are slim to none, but let's see what happens. And yeah. the way that he played in training camp, uh, Kurt Styers, um, Scott Campbell, Micah Kersey is coaching staff. They basically put their hands up and were like, how do we not give this guy a practice roster spot? He earned yeah. it. He absolutely earned it. And then, you know, Randy Stotts goes down. A lot of people thought Curse would jump in the lineup, but, uh, you know, they just felt like that this kid deserved a chance. They get him in the lineup, and what an unbelievable debut for him. Ended up being the rookie of the week. Two goals, four assists. I think he picked up seven loose balls. Um, just an absolute spark plug on that offense. And something that I think on the right side, they have been missing. The guy that's not afraid to go to the middle, set those picks. Um, he still has the capability to score, obviously. But when you look at all the guys on that right side, they're all ball handlers. They're all guys that like their touches. They, they're they so supremely skilled. And not saying that Aaron Woods isn't, because he's mm-hmm. pretty skilled as well. Um, but he just brings a different dynamic, and man, he looked good. Yeah, he certainly did. The the one goal he scored where, um, might have been Shanks who took the shot, and then he crashed the crease right down the middle, picked up that loose ball, put it past Tiggy. Those are just 
workhorse goal. So congratulations to Aaron Woods on his NLL debut and first two goals. Always awesome when you score in your very first game. And I think he might have scored in his first shot. Um, but that was just a, an awesome debut for the 28-year-old. Uh, my positive vibe this week kind of looks ahead to the weekend. Uh, we get our first two Marvel Knights, Patty. Uh, New York will have Spider-Man-themed jerseys and the Jeff Teat comic book. And then Vancouver will be rocking Thanos-themed jerseys and a Keegan Ball-themed comic book. I, I believe the comic books will all be the same. It'll just have a different player for each comic book in the theme. But I'm super stoked to see what these jerseys look like. Um, for any fans that are out there, if you want to get me an extra copy, um, I will gladly pay you for the free comic book. I would like to try to get all 15 just to create a cool little collection. But super stoked to see this partnership be unveiled and roll out over the next few weeks. And we get our first look this weekend as the Marvel franchise and the NLL, who would ever thought this, come together in a collaboration. It's, uh, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, when you said Thanos for Warriors, I was kind of thinking, like, how does that work? But I guess he's got a lot of gold on him. Like, I think yeah. that kind of ties in and um, super cool. I know Jeff Teed. I don't know if a lot of people do know this, but, like, he is a massive, massive Marvel fan. And I'm curious if he had any input on on picking Spider-Man um, for those theme jerseys. So that's pretty awesome. Really cool collaboration, uh, between the NLL. And again, uh, I know that there, there was a, a very passionate message on one of the NLL, um, mes- message boards about how there needs to be more emphasis on the, the game itself. And these theme nights are crazy and, you know, bringing in Joey chestnut is, is, is ridiculous. And, Look at look at the MLB, look at yeah. the NHL, look at all the other leagues. They do this as well. And if it's going to bring in different eyeballs to the game, why the heck not? Sports are meant to be fun. These promotions are meant to be fun. So let's have some fun. Go yell at a cloud if you don't like this stuff. Like I get it. <laughs> like if if one team is doing fifteen different jerseys, okay, it's a little much. But when it's in a cross promotion like this. Let's all accept it for what it is, which is an awesome, awesome thing for the National Lacrosse League. Week 11 is this weekend. We are literally halfway done the season. I know some teams haven't played half their schedule yet, but we're a 21-week schedule. We've done 10 weeks. We've got another 11 to go, so we're pretty much at the halfway point. I think, Patty, we can start to say for some teams we're getting into must-win territory. Oh, yeah. No doubt. We (laughs) – Vegas, Halifax, your game, game of the week. Vegas obviously coming off a huge win on the road. Tough schedule for Vegas. They got to go to Albany, get a few days rest, and then they got to go all the way to Halifax. Not an easy travel schedule, but two teams coming off wins. Uh, This should be a very interesting matchup. Obviously, Michael Kersey going up against John Williams. Uh, Landon Kells, who had a nice bounce back, going up against Warren Hill. Uh, This should be a fantastic game for the viewers across Canada. Looking forward to this one. Uh, this one's been circled on my calendar since the schedule dropped. First time seeing Vegas live and in person. Super pumped about that. And it's coming off a, a massive win. Ty Merrill, good friend, friend of the program, actually threw out a, a really interesting tweet last night 
I'll uh, give him a little retweet on this one here. One second. All right. There you go, Ty. Uh, Desert Dogs, three wins have all been against teams with winning records at the time. At Panther City, 1-0. Versus San Diego, 2-1. At Albany, 6-1. All four losses were to teams with 500 or worse records at the time. Albany, game one, 0-0. Uh, Saskatchewan 0 and 2, Calgary 0 and 2, Panther City 2 and 3. So, this is clearly a team that knows they can compete with some of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if you put Halifax in that category of best of the best, but they're certainly in the upper echelon of the National Lacrosse League. I think the big thing here is you've got a Vegas team that is really struggling to score the ball. Mm. But in games that they win, they're only averaging 10 goals again or uh, 10 goals for and 9.50 goals against. The Vegas Desert Dogs want to grind this out. They're going to want to slow down that Halifax offense. Halifax themselves though, they have no problem grinding games out. Yeah. But can that offense take over enough to kind of run out of room where Vegas just can't keep up? Uh, that will, I think, is how the game script, at least how we want it to go with the broadcasters. But again, as you know, uh, sometimes things go awry. And, and I think Vegas actually has the scoring punch to be able to score a lot of goals. We just haven't seen it yet this year. Yeah, they just got to get that offense clicking uh, again. You know, Casey Jackson's been a nice bright spot for them. Jack Han is starting to figure things out again in his sophomore year. Uh, Zach Greer's been in the, out of the lineup. So uh, big test for the dogs on the road as they go all the way out to Halifax for the TSN game of the week. The ESPNU game of the week is Colorado at Panther City. Two teams kind of go in the other direction. We kind of thought Colorado had figured it out. Uh, but, you know, a, a big loss to San Diego on the road. Now they got to go to Panther City. Um, talk with Jason Bishop a couple weeks ago in Vancouver about this Colorado team. Just, he just mentioned that there's again, kind of like Toronto, so many new bodies in the lineup and and not having Ryan Lee and guys just trying to figure things out. This, this should be a get right game for Colorado, but Panther city, much like Vegas wants to grind it out, slow you down. Callum Crawford can go off at any point that he wants to. So I'm very interested to see how this game plays out because it's two teams that, you know, have playoff aspirations and need a win desperately. Who needs it more, Teddy? I know that's a cliche answer. I think the fact that Colorado has been to back-to-back finals and they expect to be in the upper echelon of teams, I think this is a much bigger needed win for them than Panther City. Panther City is still trying to figure things out. Uh, they've been hot and cold, but for Colorado as like I said, as a team that's been to back-to-back finals, have one of the best goaltenders in the world, uh, one of the best defenses in the National Lacrosse League, I think this is a game that they have to win if they're going to make the playoffs, for sure. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, Georgia at Rochester. Uh, the Swarm finally get a win after Stoughton Hart st- starting hot and-, and cooling off. Same with Rochester. Started hot, cooling off. This is another game of teams that would love to get a victory. 
I want to say that Georgia is probably going to be the favorite in this one. Rochester obviously hasn't looked the same since Ryland Hartley went down. Um, Riley Hutchcraft has been pretty good for them, but just hasn't been able to to get a win. And this offense has kind of gone a bit cold as well. The offense, you know, I, I think Halifax did a really good job kind of showing that game plan of how you can stop or at least slow down this Rochester team. Um, but they still found a way to heat up in the second half and make mm-hmm. it a game against Buffalo. Um, they're still the second highest scoring team per game in the National Lacrosse League, averaging 13.14 goals per game. It's just unfortunate when you look at the other side of the ledger, they're giving up on average 14 goals against. And I agree with you. Uh, Hutchcraft has been has been strong. He's been solid. He's been, you could even on some nights say he's been great. Mm. But the defense is what the issue is. They're giving up far too many open looks uh, in transition. They're giving up too many. You know, the offense isn't getting off the floor quick enough. Um, keeping the ball out of the net is a problem. They might be getting lucky here as it's a Georgia offense that, you know, really hasn't looked like themselves over the past month. They're only averaging 11 goals a game. But we know they can go off at any point. Yeah. For me, I don't know what the outcome is. I really don't. This is a coin flip game for me. I think this could yeah. be a game where Georgia's offense just explodes. But that also doesn't mean that Rochester might not put up a bunch of numbers as well. Yeah, Dauber hasn't looked great over the last few weeks. Um, we kind of mushed him a little bit, but he obviously had that bounce back <laughs> game in the win. But yeah, I think that this is a definite flip of the coin i think georgia's playing a little bit better lacrosse but if if that defense can't find a way to silence you know the mcconvey the fields the ryan smiths um then i think they're definitely going to be in trouble so it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out uh the second game of a home and home calgary at toronto we mentioned toronto won the first game uh in that duel between rosie and del bianco uh a tough one for calgary to go on the road but we mentioned they have the ability to to compete with the best teams. They just haven't been able to finish some of these games where they've been in front. So interesting to see how this game will play out. Um, but Toronto just on a completely different level right now. Uh, man, I just, yeah. The, if it was flipped vice versa and, and let's say last week was at Toronto, Toronto picks up a win and then Calgary's at home. I feel a lot better about saying like, okay, this is going to be a bounce back spot for Calgary, but like Toronto has proven like that building is so tough to play against over the past couple of seasons. They play so well there. They've got the, you know, they've got the home home floor advantage, no doubt in, in rock city. Uh, But this game just means so much to, to Calgary. Like if, if Toronto drops this game, like it's really not the end of the world, but I think, offensively Toronto would probably look at this game and say, all right, like this is the game where we really get going. Like we, we really want to, but I don't know, man, hungry dog runs faster. I'm probably like, you know, if, if I, if I was laying down some, some polar bear box at cool bed, or, you know, when I go to make my picks for who you got or Preston's pick, probably going with the rock. But for me, I think this is like a season-defining game for Calgary. If they lose, it doesn't mean they're done. They're just really up going up against it. But if they can find a way to win in Toronto, um, 
I would not count this team out from from making the postseason, and they could completely change the trajectory of this season. San Diego at New York. We talked about it. Uh, a big game. We heard from Cooper Perkins that you know if. Dunkerley and the sporting cast of that offense, Connor Kiernan, Riley O'Connor can can get to the San Diego defense. They have a chance. But I think San Diego is just a little bit of an upper echelon team. So it's very, very interesting to see how New York handles it. But New York is, like we mentioned, on a three-game winning streak, playing their best lacrosse in franchise history. I think this is, is sneakily the game of the weekend. I don't know, Teddy. I don't think this is sneakily the best game of the week. I think it is the best game of the week. When you look at it, it's arguably the hottest team in the NLL. Yeah. Going up against the San Diego Seals. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, it is two of the hotter teams in the NL going toe-to-toe. This is a huge, huge prove-it spot for New York. Um. Probably the toughest test that they've they've had um, all season long, and for San Diego, it's it's a tough travel uh, for them. But I mean, anytime that they've you know they again, this is a team that's as high as I am on them. They still lost to Vegas. They you know they're, they're they they are clearly a team that. Has capabilities to lose. I mean, any team in the National Lacrosse League can lose on any night. But for this is just such a massive win or a massive game for both sides. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it really does come down to if can you know can can San Diego's offense or sorry can San Diego's defense stifle that red hot offense of of New York? And I think they can. Um, but. Again, this could be a coin flip game for me. I think the easy answer is San Diego. You can trust them a little bit more, but the way that this New York team is playing right now with the confidence, I would not be surprised if they end up at 5-4 and four at the end of this weekend. Final game of the weekend, Saskatchewan at Vancouver. Thanos will be in the building. Two teams that desperately need to win. And when you talk about must-win territory, uh, it starts right now for both of these clubs. Um, I don't know how this game is going to go. This is a, another one of those coin flip games. Frankie going up against Boldy, uh, Church going up against Ball, uh, Keenan going up against Charlotte Beatties, both defenses. I think this this could be a definite shootout game. When when I look at this game, it's two teams that desperately want a win but it's two teams that are completely feeling different. Saskatchewan is, is feeling so good about themselves after that win. Um, they had such a weird schedule over the past month, like hardly playing, you know, multiple players uh, to the media talking about how just weird of a schedule it was and how difficult it was to get in into a groove. And they feel like they're finally getting into that groove. Whereas on the flip side, Vancouver needs this win badly, but they're pissed off. They are not happy. They felt like they probably should have won last week. The week before that, they were embarrassed, and and their coach, you know, made it very clear that he was pissed off. So, I almost feel. I, 
I really like the way that Saskatchewan looked. And I think that having Keenan back on the bench is huge. And I think getting into a groove where they're going to play a lot of games certainly helps. But a pissed off group is, is a scary thing to go, go up against. But again, like you said, I think this, this is a coin flip game. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, week 11. Those are your games. Vegas, Halifax, Colorado, Panther city, Georgia, Rochester, Calgary, Toronto, San Diego, New York, Saskatchewan, Vancouver, all games on TSN uh, plus ESPN plus, and then your games of the week are both on Friday night, Vegas, Halifax, Colorado, Panther City. Quickly, Jersey Journey, I think I might have it. I saw you writing it down. What do you got? All right, so this player started their career for four seasons in Rochester and moved in-state to Albany for three seasons, then went all the way down to San Jose for one season, back up to New York State to Buffalo for three seasons, then over to Edmonton for one, then back to Buffalo for one, then back to Edmonton for one, and then wrap things up in the city of brotherly love in Philadelphia. Whomst is this? Whomst is this? Um, The Edmonton Buffalo Edmonton is a bit of a giveaway. Uh, again, being a former Edmonton Rush, I kind of like to think that I know all those guys that I played with. Um, he is a father. He is um, a great man. Uh, he has one of the greatest generational sons of all time. He is Dan Teat. Ding, 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 ding. Correct, correct, correct. I know we were I'm running out of time. I started typing it in. I was like, Rochester than Albany? He only played two years, and then he started typing some more in. It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> this is a bit of a longer I, career. I know uh, we're, on a t- we're on a time crunch, so I wanted to give you a little bit of easier. I had a really tough one that I'm going to wait for two weeks upcoming, um, so I'll, I'll hold that one in my holster. But that one I think will take you a little bit longer to get. But still, nicely <sighs> That means done. i got to try to figure out a tough one for next week. All right, uh, tough picking in the Jersey Journey, but also tough picking over on Cool Bet. Let's try and have a successful weekend. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, time now for the Off the Crossbar Parlay, brought to you by our friends over at CoolBet. Uh, this is our box bet. Last week, we had Albany, Toronto, Buffalo, San Diego, all to win on the money line. Unfortunately, Albany let us down, so we didn't win any uh, polar bear bucks. Uh, what have we got this week? We, we've got... Uh... An interesting one this week, and I was listening to another podcast, the Lacrosse Classified podcast, and one Jake Elliott took a little bit of a shot at us that we were maybe chickening out, that we allow the fans to vote, even though we just want the fans to be a part of the process and and choose and, and have them pick. Well, he then called us cowards, but then proceeded to take three money line uh, bets for their parlay. That was only at plus 240. He did call himself a coward after that. So that is is fair. Halifax, Toronto, and San Diego, all to win. So, Mr. Jumbo, I am putting my name on this parlay. Not literally, but I'm putting the podcast name on this. We are going 
Georgia, Rochester, over 23.5. Calgary, Toronto, under 22.5. And And New York, Riptide, plus 2.5 at plus 600. If this loses, if this loses, I will take the blame. Jake, I will take the blame. I'm putting my name on this. I'm putting the podcast name on it. The fans aren't voting. This is war. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) So what is it again? Georgia over Georgia, Georgia, Rochester over 23 and a half. Yep. New York plus two and a half. Yep. And then Calgary, Toronto under 22 and a half. Uh, and now starts the podcast war, as as Tino <laughs> Farah said this week. But no, just and, and kidding. It goes, and it's boosted to what? It's plus six hundred. Plus six hundred. Oh. Whereas yeah. you look at the last class parlay, it's only plus two forty. Ugh. Those guys are scared. Those guys <laughs> are scared. Uh, obviously, uh, head over to CoolBet.com, find the features tab. Our parlay will be there. The week lacrosse classified pod or parlay will be there. Uh, and if it's your first time going, when you log in, go down to the bottom, press that promo code tab, type in OTCB. Cool bet will boost it. Your first bet, their first deposit up to $200. They'll double that, uh, give you a few extra polar bucks to have a little fun. And what a great time to do it because it is the Super Bowl this weekend. Plus, it, it, this might be one of the greatest weekends in sports. Obviously, National Cross League, National Hockey League, basketball going on, but you got the Super Bowl and you got the Waste Management Tour down there in Phoenix, which is arguably the best party tournament, uh, golf tournament to go to. Um, So tons of stuff over there on CoolBet. And as we always say, stay cool. Bet responsibly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. I know we run out of time here. If you go to the promotions tab, because I know people are like, hey, I already used my OTCB bonus. Yeah. Can I, I want to get a bonus for the big game. Well, CoolBet is allowing you to do that uh, for the big game starting today when we're recording this on Thursday up until just before kickoff on February 11th for the big game. Uh, Deposit between $30 and $50. And kick your weekend off with a 50% bonus. So you'll get 50%. So if you deposit 50, you'll get an extra 25. A little extra sprinkling for your big game bets this weekend. Uh, I will be taking advantage of that. Uh, Morgan's message totals. We haven't updated this in a couple weeks. The league is at 1,302 goals. So that's $1,302. That Brandon Robinson will be donating, donating towards Morgan mess, Morgan's message. Uh, the Bandits have scored 104 goals, so we as a podcast are at 104 bucks. And Mitch Blyle, Dan, uh, Jeff Teat's got 14, so he's all the way up to 26. So we are donating and helping a great cause at morgansmessage.com. Uh, we are also a part of a new website called Lacrosse Culture Daily. That's where you can find the podcast and a whole bunch of other stuff. So head over to lacrossculturedaily.com. Great stuff by the folks over there. It's kind of our new, one of our new homes. Now the lacrosse flash has taken a hiatus. Uh, LC Daily has picked up the slack. Sheminauer's Random Thoughts are there. Back of the Bird, Coaches Calls, Lacrosse Classified, and the OTCB podcast is there as well. So go give them a follow on Twitter and check out their website for some unbelievable stuff. Thanks to Cooper Perkins for stopping by. Give us some insight analytics 
on everything in the National Lacrosse League and the Seals. He's P. Greggy on Twitter. I'm at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast or on the Instas at OTCB podcast. Week 11 is on deck. Superman, or sorry, Spider-Man, Thanos in the building for Marvel Night. Next week, we go to Laval. Enjoy the games every weekend. Enjoy the games, everybody. If you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two and buy them all a beer. Lacrosse, friends, and beer, the trifecta that solves all the world's problems. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.